All right. I think we're tracking, Tom. Hi, Josh. Is, that, is it good? I think it's it's recording. Yes, it is. It actually, because I can see my waveform. And mine? Yeah. Good. Good, 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 good. So what do you want to talk about today, Tom? Hmm. Let's talk about the climate change. No. Let's talk about... <laughs> let's talk about... Hawaii. Hawaii. Let's talk about Hawaii and how a beautiful, beautiful place that is. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, the influence of, of your father and that other guy growing up in Hawaii and how that turned into a real thing for the Kingston Trio, with which not only Calypso, Hawaiian music, Calypso music, Tahitian music, those kinds of things. So give us a little background on kind of your dad's uh, early years and his upbringing and influences. Well, he did live nearby Gabby Painui, who was a big... Um, a big star on Hawaii, and he would go after working his gig at the um, wherever he was working, and he'd go see Gabby at the gas station and get some tips from him on what to do. I think Gabby had a day job at the gas station, and at night he performed as well. So um, he learned from that. But um, the culture on the whole was amazing. Um, there was just influences coming from everywhere, country music and um, just modern hula. And so I guess they just borrowed from it in a big way. So... Um, do you know, like, when your dad's first, when you first really kind of got into music, like, how old was he, and, and kind of, was it, did he start young, or did he actually start later on when he was in his teens and when he got into Stanford and stuff? Yeah, when he was about 14 or 15, he got a guitar, and Bob Shane came over to his house and actually showed him what to do with the chord boxes and everything. There was guitar music above the staff, and then, like, a lot of guitar music has there were chord boxes, and so he just sort of clarified on what to do as to what it meant and count off, you know, per measure and change chords. And so, in a sense, uh, yeah, Bob started the ball rolling for, for Dave. He had the tips. Boy, that's not, that's not what I would expect, thinking that your dad was so cerebral and was such a musical driver of the force of, of his era of the trio, to think that he actually learned the fundamentals from Bob Shane is actually quite interesting. Um, so how did Bob and Dave meet? Was it at school? Yeah, they were at Punahou together, which was a prep school uh, behind um, Honolulu in Honolulu. And, um, yeah, they were in a play together, apparently, The uh, Mad Woman of Shiloh, and they were at some Christmas fair and a few different events and probably shared some classes together. But, um, yeah, I think that uh, Dave, it's kind of like, like the Beatles. Dave was seeing Bob perform outside of a mm-hmm. place somewhere, and he actually mm-hmm. knew the words, so he helped Bob mm-hmm. along with the words the way that um, Paul McCartney helped John Lennon along with the words to... Uh, 20 Flight Rock by Eddie Cochran. So it's kind of a similar story. Yeah. Interesting. So it's out of respect of, you know, intellectual. <laughs> so who retainer. was performing first in Hawaii as a professional musician? Because there's been a lot of talk about how Bob Shane was actually an Elvis impersonator. He was the Hawaiian Elvis. Um, so was he a, more of a kind of a polished professional performer before they all got together in Palo Alto? No, I think that was after that. Um, the timeline goes that um, Bob and Nick were in Menlo at... Um, High school or business college together, I guess. Business high school, college, business, business college, college. Business school, yeah. Yeah, and um, so uh, Bob had gone back to work for his father's hardware and sports equipment store in Honolulu and That's was right. doing the, um, right. Right. He had the a big Hawaiian store. Elvis thing performing on the beach. So it was after they'd gotten going. But I think back when Dave and 
Bob were in high school at Punahou was when they both started to just perform together and play for officers clubs and things like that. I think there's a couple photos, maybe like kind of grainy black and white photos of your dad and Bob on stage I've seen somewhere in some archive. Uh huh. Yeah, I think those might have been from that high school play, The Mad Woman of Shiloh, and yeah. a couple of other events. So. Well, it's great. You know, I was listening to uh, one of the Bill Terry Seven Up radio spots the other day, and they were talking a lot about Hawaii, and um, they were mentioning that the, uh, some of the Calypso influence came from um, my dad and his my grandfather bringing back songs from the sea. But I don't really remember uh, Calypso being part of like the living room music that we had. I have a feeling that there was a little bit more of my dad having kind of a, a Spanish and Mexican influence by going down to Tijuana, you know, that got those kind of some of those Caribbean Spanish rhythms. Um, do you know anything about that? Like, have, have you heard your dad talk about, you know, how Nick was Calypsonian? Yeah, well, I think a lot of that Calypsonian influence came from Harry Belafonte and some of the songs that the Weavers adopted. So we were talking a little bit about Hawaii. Um, was there any kind of a specific style uh, that your dad paid attention to? And how did he learn the Hawaiian language? Was it something he studied in school or was it just picking it up from the local? I think probably all by rote. I think he knew what they were saying in most cases, but whatever part, um, he was just um, parroting it. And um, quite often they couldn't really play any Hawaiian songs because everybody had that covered. So to show them that they had something new and interesting, well, they went and learned some Tahitian songs. So I think it was the same idea that they knew some of the words, the meaning, but for the most part it was just by rote, just listening and copying mm. it really well. So, so everybody was doing the Hawaiian songs, so they didn't want to like just do a, a traditional Hawaiian songs. So they moved into some. They, they started do. He started doing some calypso stuff and some Tahitian stuff, as you mentioned, like like Tanga Tiki, you know. Eino Totoe. Eino Totoe. Yes, that was the biggest. Um, non, I think um, that song. Um, Toreo te, 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 whatever it's called. Tanga Taki Taki away. That was a Polynesian song. I don't know if that was Tahitian. I have to do the research. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, did we get to the point where I would ask you about how? Calypso might have come from my dad through the sea shanties that your dad mentioned? Yeah, and I think it was more of a current thing that was kind of mainstream already with Harry Belafonte and the Weavers who oh, brought right. them you along. right, you mentioned that, yes. Yeah, but um, I think a lot of the songs, the Spanish-spoken songs came from Nick's travels down to Tijuana and learning from the people down there. Um, but as far as Calypso, yeah, I think that was more from the mainstream at that point. Those You're talking about songs like Farewell Jamaica and things of that sort? Yeah. Kingston yes. Town, mm -hmm. the little girl in Kingston. You know, that was one of the most requested trio songs, and the trio never recorded it. No? No, they never did. <laughs> um, so that was quite interesting. I found that uh, they, I think they, well, actually, I take that back. Somebody's going to catch me on that. They might have recorded it, I think, maybe in concert of the Crazy Horse albums. You know, some aficionado will check. But Thank actually you. quite interesting. So it came from Belafonte and that stuff, really. Um, so the, the particular style of guitar playing and some of the percussion and some of the arrangements that your dad put together for those songs, mm -hmm. um, where did he get that understanding? Was that from just being around that kind of Polynesian music in general? 
Yeah, I think you can hear it in some of the more folky and country songs that you hear, that sort of missed first beat of kind of ba-da-ba, ba-da-ba, the way it is on ukulele, uh, the hula stuff. Ah, uh, right. The ba-da-da, da-da-da, yes. da-da-da. Mm-hmm. That bump rhythm. Uh, sometimes they'll put a bass note to begin with instead of leaving it silent, but uh, it's very obvious on Tom Dooley, and I guess, of course, the Calypsonian tunes, too. Um, but yeah, I can hear it there. Some said that Bob has kind of a uh, a Hawaiian lilt to his voice, and that actually when he sings Tom Dooley, uh, that he's actually kind of singing it in kind of a semi-Hawaiian style, though it does not seem obvious. Hmm. Yeah, well, I've noticed that in his spoken voice, very much so, that sort of eloquent thing that Hawaiians do. Right, he does like to do that a lot, and he has a huge Hawaiian heritage. I mean, he loves Hawaiian church and everything Hawaii. (laughs) Yes. Mahalo. (laughs) Yes, there's a lot of warmth to his voice, and I think that did have a lot to do with the way he sang as well. Speaking of Hawaii, you know, Bob, growing up there, he had, uh, um, I don't know if you remember this name, but a guy by the name of Peter Kalua. Have you heard that name? No. P- Peter was literally Bob's kind of right-hand guy, but he was a really big Hawaiian guy, and he was the basically he was the bodyguard for the trio. And I used to sit on his shoulders when we'd walk through the Dunes Hotel and stuff like that. And Peter was kind of like my big buddy. And uh, the irony was was that I I I got kind of excited to go back and look at Tom Selleck in. Magnum PI because they were coming out with a new series. So I went on, I think it was YouTube, and I found uh, the first episode, I think the pilot of Magnum PI, and there was a really bad guy in there. And I said, I know that guy. And sure enough, when the credits rang, ran at the end, it was Peter Kalua, was the first bad guy. <laughs> so nonetheless, it's interesting, you know, because uh, to have Peter Kalua, and of course the name Kalua, uh, he spelled it K-A-L-U-A and uh, was just kind of a magical guy, you know, and um, it was just interesting to have that around and, and to think for, for a moment that we actually had a bodyguard when I was a kid around the trio and around me and stuff and around all the kids. It's really quite fascinating. Yeah, I guess so. It always was kind of a threat of us being kidnapped or something like that. <laughs> well, the irony of that was I was back in Port Orford recently and the woman who runs the dock, kind of the fishing uh, department of the dock and selling all of the fish, Vicki Nolan, she said that my mom had said to her that one of the reasons they moved to Oregon was because if anybody had two dimes to rub together, there was a potential kidnapping threat. And when she told me that, I remembered hearing something about that. I don't know if there was ever a kidnapping threat on me or any of the other trio kids, but I just found it kind of bizarre that there would even be the thought of kidnapping and moving out of California to Oregon to get away with some potential kidnapping threat, which might have just been overall 60s paranoia. Yeah. Well, we moved all the way to Australia, and at that point, my mother was feeling a kidnapping threat. So I don't think we went there to escape. We went there, and then she had that feeling even greater than when we were in Palo Alto. So. Oh, really? So your mom felt had a little bit of that vibe, too? Your mom, Gretchen, had a little vibe that they're... Yeah, we were living in a pretty insular beach up there, I think just on a pretty good nest egg after Dad left the trio and, you know, cashed in his chips. So, um, yeah, there was that feeling of, you know, a little bit of a thing in the back of their minds, I'm sure, Joan as well, and Nick, you know, for you. So, yeah, there was always that, but I think it was not really founded in a big hmm. way. You know, we, we did fine, and I don't think anybody was paying attention to us, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. Um, back to Hawaii for a moment. Um I heard a rumor that when Tom Dooley hit, they were doing a benefit concert in Hawaii that your dad maybe had put together or a concert there, and they heard Frank Werber maybe called them and said, get on a plane, boys. You've got a hit. Is that 
Is that true? Yes, I do think they had some engagements there in Honolulu uh, playing the shell. And um, yeah, so that must have been great news. I think they had to fill out their contract with playing very small clubs and bars in Mexico and things at that time. And they were real ready to go do the college circuit, but they had to spend that rest of that six weeks or so fulfilling these tiny dates at little bars where they could have easily been killed. <laughs> I think actually on our website, folkmafia.com, we have some of those photos of them sitting on the beach, my dad playing bongos, and some of those with Diamond Head in the background and yeah. a few other things with, with Hawaii. And then they went back later when the Stewart years, because um, it was just... Uh, uh, it's really interesting, you know, because if you look at the different shirts, of course, they have, there's, there is definitely some Polynesian influences in some of the later ones. We'll have a whole episode on striped shirts and branding and things of that sort of the music. But this has been a wonderful talk with Tom Gard. Thank Tom, you, you, know, you know a lot about the Kingston Trio. I know some, yeah. I like to share what I can. So, yeah, it's a really great opportunity to share it with everybody else who's curious because I know there's a lot of call for it. And, um, yeah, I'm interested in learning anything I can at any moment. So things arise all the time. But, yeah, it's been great to share this, and I look forward to our future meetings. Well, I, I tell you, every time I talk with you and we kind of go through some of this history stuff, I, I always learn something. And I find that's why I wanted to do this podcast with you and get this thing started was this, it's the fascinating story of the Kingston Trio that a lot of people don't know. You know, they don't really, as, as my dad said, he always felt there was a big hurt, which means he, they were never respected for what they did for Amer- bringing, getting America up and singing. Um, so hopefully this podcast will shed some light on that, and especially we're going to hopefully have some people that are influencers and that have been heavily influenced by the trio music. And uh, we'll try to line up some of those people if people start listening to our podcast. So signing off right now is Josh Reynolds. And Tom Garden. And that we are on the folkmafia.com podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Our website is powered by Squarespace. Our meals are powered by DoorDash. And Tom Gard is powered by copious, copious amounts of food. Yes. I'm oh, also, we'd like to put it. Oh, I'm sorry, Tom. I'm, I'm forever consuming, yes. And, yes. And um, sharing we, the energy that is produced for that. So, well, well, for an example for that is an, another place that we frequent very frequently and, and shop at is Trader Joe's. And it, the irony here in Marin was I went in one time without Tom and they said, where's the tall guy? <laughs> <laughs> I make friends everywhere I go. <laughs> well, and then she looked at the basket and said, well, I guess he's not here because the basket's only a quarter full. When he comes here, it's a full, it's a full basket. Yeah, they like me when I pay their rent. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back again with another episode of the Folk Mafia podcast. This is our first one, podcast one. Thank you for listening. <laughs>